Hello and welcome to KeeperCast, the Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast. I'm Sammy. I'm Ben. And I'm Ivy. And this is episode 11, brought to you by Fitz's Anger Issues. They're there. They're there. They sure are a thing. Um, before we get started with the episode, I forgot the word episode for a second there. Um, we actually have four messages that we uh, want to read out loud for you guys. Uh, not all of these are from last week. Some of them are from the week before, but because of all like the stuff with um, me not realizing that I could change the file type of things and then things not working and then working again, I forgot to read them last week. So here's the first one. It's an Instagram message from Coddleknut907. It says, You guys are just amazing. The Keeper of the Lost City series is a huge part of my life, and I've been wanting to listen to something about Coddlek. Your podcast brings light to my day. You just seem really kind. Thank you. Oh, that's so nice. I know. (laughs) People are nice. Um, Our second message is on Tumblr. This is from Casually Being Ignored. She's like, love your username. Such a mood. Um, we related to Dex. <laughs> related to Dex? Like, because he casually ignored and Dex is casually ignored. Single tier. Um, the message says, Hi there, I really wanted to say that your podcast is amazing. Keep her up the fantastic work. 10 out of 10 pun usage. Love that. Um, our last two messages were sent to Mallow Melting, which is my... It's, well, it's not my personal, but it's like my solo fandom account. Um, on Instagram, the first one is from, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's spelled N-O-Y-Q-D-E-S, and it says, Hi, I have really enjoyed all your podcasts. Thank you so much for doing it. I'm sure all the fandom enjoys it, and the time and effort put into it shows. Um, the second message... That's very sweet. Yeah, yeah. The second message is from So Keefster. And it's just, I love your podcast, with three purple hearts at the end. So, thank you to both of those people. We really appreciate getting all of your messages. And um, if you want to send us more, we're at KeeperCast on Tumblr and the KeeperCast on Instagram. Alright, so, um, oh, for reference, Ivy, this was chapters 40 through 47. Although that doesn't really mean anything, I'm just realizing, because I have my book, like, next to me. So you're not going to be seeing it. (laughs) I will look on the calendar to see what that is. Okay, I think I vaguely remember what happened. So yeah, Ivy was a very, like, last minute, like, literally ten minutes ago addition to this week. Um, so they have not read the section, but it's okay because you'll be providing unhelpful commentary, right? <laughs> it was actually really funny because I'm rereading all the books right now to kind of try and like recap them like based on just the key events of the books and it turns out I usually like to do the reading for these sections like as soon as the podcast like the closest I can get to the podcast without it being last minute and rushed so I was reading I was reading through the chapters earlier today and it just happened to be where I had put the book down last night when I was rereading through it to make my recap post. So it all worked out very nicely for me. 
Oh, cool. Also, yes, your recap posts are, you're doing the Lord's work. They're fabulous. It's quite fun. It gives me a reason to reread through everything again. And now I feel like, no one's putting pressure on me, but it's like, wow. Now I, now it's, I'm going to do more because good things happen and people liked it. Um, so this section starts with Sophie training Sylvani, um, and at some point she does end up in the healing center. She ends up in the healing center multiple times in this section, actually. Good for her. This is a pretty healing center heavy section. Like the first 300 pages oh, of flashback. the entire beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Same brain. But, um, oh, my favorite part of this section was that we learned that Elwyn has put up this portrait of Sophie in her oh. Mastodon costume above her bed in the healing center. That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That's a good scene. It's like the official shrine of Sophie. Yeah. No, I think this section of chapters is a bit shorter. It's seven or so. We're usually we're going a, like tennis, but there's a lot of good stuff in these chapters. Like I believe Sophie teleports for the first times in these chapters. Um, yeah, she does. Mm-hmm. With Sylvani, and then there's the first like official Sophie and Keith team up within these chapters, which is the beginning of a whole chain of events. And it's just... Bronton flicks on her, Bronte. That was yeah, wild. That was That, that was, was not intense. something you should do to a kid. Yeah, that was kind of <laughs> suspect. <morally> yeah, questionable. <laughs> Reading that, I was just kind of like, huh, that's a... That's straight up a 13-year-old. Huh. Yeah, so like... They, it was first of all one. It was their first inflicting session, and second of all, he was he wasn't even. Bronte was doing it to like he was inflicting on her to test to see if she was quote unquote malfunctioning or something. Yeah, Which that was like, his reasoning. It's just like I mean, like it's never okay to inflict on a thirteen year old, but also like that's just not a good reasoning, at all. Well, you know, <laughs> Shannon was. Following the rule of show, don't tell, I guess. I mean, I guess, but, like, what the actual heck? <laughs> I mean, I think, and we're at that point in the series where I think Bront definitely sees Sophie as, like, a sign of the council's failure and, like, of his failure because, like, there were direct orders not to do it. It's, like, a sign of disobedience and of change, which I'm not sure if, especially at this point, Bront is super into that doesn't forgive him for what he did. That was a really, really bad thing to do. But, like, he still fully hates Sophie with all of his heart right now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, also, I don't, I don't know if that hatred is anything, like, more personal. Or if it's just because, like, you know, so, like, the Black Swan was able to create Sophie without the council realizing. And it's kind of like this, she's this weird outside perspective like, bringing change, like you said, which they don't necessarily want. Like, I don't know, I do feel like how much he dislikes Sophie at this point seems to be more personal than just, like, not liking change in the Black Swan. Well, yeah, but, I'll, like, for the personal aspect, it could very well be that, like, he's been trying to do his best to get rid of her for over a year now, and it's still not working. True. <laughs> he's like, God damn it, just get her gone. Um, going back a bit, though, to a slightly lighter subject, um, 
early earlier on in the chapter I did notice um there was this one line where they were having lunch at Foxfire and um and Morella says, Ooh, are you making Dex blush? That's one of my favorite games. That kind of caught me off guard because like I'm not Whoa. <laughs> I'm not someone who pays a lot of attention to the ships, but it felt like they were trying to ship tease like Dex and Morella, which is something that I've never even seen come up again like I don't think that's something that is really considered at all in the later books I also think that Morella is just kind of a flirty person yeah that too (laughs) but yeah that was and then uh there was the addition of we're making Sophie blush (laughs) yep which I like that just saying the word Sophie blush was enough to make Sophie blush (laughs) I was just I'm looking at kind of my notes and stuff, and I'm very disappointed that we didn't get, like, well, no, not disappointed, but I found it interesting how, like, we, during this, going back to the inflicting scene, sorry to people not fond of the inflicting scene, but, like, it is interesting to see Magne Leto, Leto, Leto showing so much, or showing concern for Sophie but also not being able to interfere. Like, fully, if he was Mr. Forkel during that time, he would have gotten so mad, but because he was in this form, he wasn't able to do anything, and I just found that interesting. Right, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it's, like, kind of, um... You can kind of think of Mr. Forkel's, like, uh, shape-shifting and... Well, not really shape-shifting, disguise-making, as, like, a magic system itself. I mean, you don't really see it Otherwise, and um, I guess this would be an example of, like, um, the power itself actually creating limitations, um, which is really nice to see. Well, he is kind of shape-shifting, though, in a way. Because, like, yeah. it's not, I mean, it's, like, he's not turning into a different species or anything, but his disguises are so complete and, like, you know, he has to change everything, like, his, not just his appearance, but also his personality and, like, his job and things like that, depending on what disguise he's in. That seems, that does, I think you could call it shape-shifting. Mr. Forkel is just a really good character actor. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so next in the section, um, we have a bit where Sophie goes back to Everglen, despite others' advice to stay away. And... We're seeing some not-so-fun times with the Vackers. We are not vibing with the Vackers now. Um, Because, you know, as you know, like, Alden is now broken, which means that he's pretty much functionally dead. Yeah. Here's a question I have for you guys, just kind of like, I don't know what to call it, perspective, but it's not really perspective. But do you think that... Alver was less affected by his father's death because of, like, he was distanced from his father by being with, like, the never seen and that he was, like, accustomed or, like, turned away from his grief? Or do you think he didn't really care because that truly was, like, he had to be the responsible one there? That's really interesting because that is something that, like, that I was thinking about, too, rereading the section, which is that, like, Alvar, he's not just holding it together, he seems, like, pretty much fine except for a small bit where he seems like it said like he gave a pain smile or something sort of similar to that and 
I I don't really know what the exact reasoning is for it. It seems in line with his character, but and I do think personally I do think it has I do think it has something to do with the never scene. Um it could be either that like yeah, that, like like you said that he's used to the never scene like doing arson and murdering people and he's sort of trained himself not to break because of violence um or because of grief uh or you know it's possible that him just being in the never scene has made him naturally or not naturally but it's made him feel more separate from his dad so he truly isn't as quite as affected by um by Alden breaking as like Della or Fitz would be and I mean I think like we have seen Alver's reasoning as to why he kind of well not abandoned the family but why he went out against them uh he did feel like his father kind of latched on to Fitz and that Fitz was the like he was he was getting outshone by his younger sibling and he was getting irritated that and he learned stuff about the Vacker family so it's like I don't know if it's fair to say that, like, he was disconnected to his family because of the Never Scene, but I think that he joined the Never Scene, and he was disconnected from his family, he joined the Never Scene, and that divide only got worse. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I also think that, um, Alvar seems to have, seems to feel, um, a much stronger connection to Della than to Alden. Like, he never really feels um like he's part of the same family as Alden even but Della does feel like his mother and I feel like um that side of the family um they're it's kind of characteristic of them where they hide their feelings and they always try to kind of put up an illusion of who they are and I think maybe that like kind of reluctance to express his grief could be from watching and imitating Della. But we see Della during here and she is she is she's singing. She's going through the seven stages of acceptance and right now she is fully in denial. That's true. That's true. So I think I think a lot of what that is and I actually noticed this a while back um is that Alver is the only one of the three children to not have the same eyes as Alden. Yeah, he has Della's so, eyes. He does. So seeing as how eyes are such an important trait and how like the Vackers are so recognizable from these bright teal eyes, I feel like that could also, if not consciously, then subconsciously play into that. Right, because like subconsciously other people or even Olver himself could be like, oh, he doesn't have the Vacker eyes, he's not really a Vacker. And because of that, he might feel closer to Della than, than to Alden. He doesn't carry that same Vacker image with him. Also, I think um, eyes also, well, eyes have like two connotations, I think, that um, can can be relevant. Um, I guess the first one is like eyes are the window to the soul. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the other one is like eyes, you're seeing through your own eyes and your own perspective. And like those two together like, do emphasize the difference that's highlighted by um, Alvar's eyes. Although, to be fair, his eyes are described as cobalt, I believe. And I've noticed throughout the series (laughs) 
But like every single person's, every single elf's eyes who aren't the backers, like co- the, the word cobalt is used to describe their eyes way often than any other shade of blue. I feel like it's like Shannon's default color. We've got teal, periwinkle, and cobalt. Those are the three blues. The three color, the only blues that exist. What what color are Keith's eyes? Ice oh, blue. They're like ice blue. Yeah. That's how right, she describes them. The whole Iggy thing. Yeah, I think I don't like Alver, but I think he's very like I think he's very interesting and compelling as far as characters go. Just because he has made such opposite choices as to what we've seen the gang make. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely think he's one of the coolest, like, never seen members in terms of his character. Yeah, I agree. I'm also really excited to see, like, um, what influence he's able to have on Biana. Right, right, because we haven't really seen, like, Biana be that involved in the Vacker legacy or in the Vacker image as well either like I mean we know that I mean we know that like appearance wise she looks like a Vacker but she doesn't seem to have that same sort of burden that Fitz has of like being the golden boy and you know having to uphold that legacy. I think uh, there's a few reasons that can probably be put on that but there is like she's not a telepath for one, but for a while, like, I don't think that necessarily defines it as much, because there are backers who are, like, flashers and stuff, so it's not the telepathy that defines them, but I think it certainly draws Alden and Fitz together. But I will say that there is an odd part where Oliver has carried the burden, and now Fitz carries the burden, but the one female child has never been assigned this burden, or this or, like, we haven't really heard of, like, why wasn't Della made an emissary? There's just a couple of questions there that I think would be nice to get answers to. But also it could just be because she doesn't plan to. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is interesting to think about. Speaking of Della, sh- how she's dealing with, like, the grief of losing Alden is that she's she's been singing. She thinks that he, she can bring him back by um by singing dwarven music. And um well, first of all, one, that's just very sad. And two, um it's something that I think it connects to some other things about Della that we've sort of slowly been like fed throughout the course of the series. We know that um because Alvar says that Della studied music with the dwarves. And then later on, we learn that, um, like, Della says something like that she's walked among humans, and that's how she understands some elements of human culture. So she seems to have been someone who's, like, traveled around quite a bit. And I don't really have, like, a theory to go off of that, but I just thought it was interesting, and it does seem like it's leading somewhere. We deserve a Della spinoff. We should have a Della. I would totally read a Della spinoff. As would I. Yes, please. Yeah, like, Unlocked shouldn't have been about Keith. It should be about Della. Wait, is Unlocked solely about Keith? I thought it was about, like, short stories and stuff. Or no, I think it's about all of them, but it's, like, from Keith's perspective, though, isn't it? Well, it's, yeah, it's half from Sophie's perspective and half from Keith's perspective. I was... I don't know exactly what's going to be in it. We know that it's picking up after 
like right after where Legacy ended. And actually I was um I was at like y'all stay at home this weekend. Ivy and I were like it bleh. Ivy and I were we were watching some of the um like the webinars from the virtual version of Y'all West and Shannon Messenger was there and she said that um Unlocked is essentially going to be like a book nine like it's probably going to be about the same length and it's going to be covering like chronologically the same time period or chronologically right after legacy it's the only difference is how the story is going to be told in terms of the povs so yeah that's a new piece of information i did not expect unlocked to be the usual 800 page brick i thought it was going to be significantly shorter but i guess not i thought unlocked was going to be like I don't know what to call it, but, like, sometimes you'll get, like, series guides books or something where they have, like, drawn-out images and, like, oh, maps right. of different yeah. places that they've been. So I thought that would kind of be more what was mimicked. Oh, because Unlocked is going to get some maps, right? We're getting a map of the Lost Cities and some illustrations. <laughs> maps? I be- yeah, I think that's, I think that's going to be an Unlocked. So that'll be fun. Della is definitely a character that, for her prominence, we still don't know a lot about. Yeah, we really have no idea, like, what she's about. We have a vague sense of her personality, I feel like, but, yeah, we don't know. Do we even know her maiden name? We do not, no. Yeah, but we we know a lot about Alden, I feel like. We know that he used to have a cognate. We know that he carried a lot of guilt for years. We know that Della is cool and can do, like insane martial arts while invisible and that's pretty much it yeah i mean i always had this like headcanon that della was like so for a long time i thought this was actually in the book but then i realized it wasn't that della was actually was like a secret like secret spy for the lost cities government and like you mean the council (laughs) yes but, like, she was, like, 007, you know, but, like, elves. James Bondella. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's that's not canon, but I would be really into that. I think it would, I think it would add a, I, I mean, it makes sense with her character, and I think it would add a lot to it. Yeah, no, it would, yeah, it would be a good explanation for, like, all the martial arts skills, and the traveling in the human and dwarven worlds, and, like, yeah, that would, that would be cool. I think it mentions at one point that Alden and Della do go on emissary missions together. Like, they will sometimes go out, but I'm not, like, she's not officially one. Speaking of other members of the Vakir family, the one person we haven't really talked about yet is Fitz. He is most definitely not vibing at this point. Um, he's actually being Fitz really is terrible. straight up having a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> he's... Yeah, he's not having a great time, um, and he's mainly just very angry. He is really angry that uh, Sophie that Sophie like agreed to be Alden's guide. That's what he's saying right now because Sophie knew that like her mind wasn't at a hundred percent, and she was kind of, like she was having trouble with her telepathy. Um, Yet she went and guided him anyway, so he kind of blames her for Alden breaking. 
the blaming part isn't valid, but saying, yo, you weren't up at 100%, what the hell, is a, it has uh, some points to it. Yeah, like, he does have some points, it's just that, like, the way he's expressing them, like, in terms of just lashing out at Sophie and blaming her is definitely not very cash money of him. <laughs> like, yeah, I agree. He's, yeah. Like, his anger is valid, but the way that he's taking it out on the people around him is not. It's not, but also he's a 16-year-old boy grieving. Right, that's true. He's a 16... 16- He's a 16-year-old boy who has no concept of death whatsoever, but has just lost his father forever. That's true. Like, yeah, I do feel like we should cut him some slack, especially in exile, because, I mean, because, like, yeah, also, like, he wasn't even involved in, like, the big fight in Paris in the last book. Like, Like, literally nothing bad has ever really happened to him. This is probably the worst part moment of his life. Yeah, and we hear it from Tirjan too, um, where he talks about, like, where he's explaining the Vacker's reactions. And I think that this has kind of been a recurring theme in the series, how the different characters deal with grief, which we've seen how Keith deals with grief. He gets, like, the, the, mo- the main grief that I'm thinking about is his mom and, like, the sadness and the, like, awful feelings he has about that. So he becomes obsessive he has like dangerous habits verging on like like he was just completely obsessing over everything we see Bianna or Bianna who just cuts herself off from the world completely she like when you're invisible and you have the choice to just disappear and something bad happens she's just not willing to be there and then we see Fitz who has only one thing left to do and that's to be angry and to find somebody to blame for all of this and we do see that he is like we get Oliver stating that he's mad at everybody we just see him getting mad at Sophie because we're following Sophie's point of view and she had a lot to do with this as well yeah I think yeah especially scenes like this where like everyone's at at Everglon at once I do think it's really cool well it's sad but it's cool to be able to see how to actually see how everyone's processing Alden breaking just in their own way even though they're all in the same house what I can't remember the exact like seven stages of grief but like we have Della who's in denial or five whatever there's five or seven depending on who you ask but Della's in denial yeah so Fitz's anger so I guess we could say like denial anger Deanna's depression I'd say um, and then Alden um, or Della is still denial I'd say Della could be bargaining as well, because, like, she's doing all these things to try to bring Alden back. Yeah. But I think, like, it could be either on how you look at it, but I was just thinking of denial mostly because she believes there's still something in there. She's denying the fact that he's gone. Right, yeah. And I don't know if Olvar's really acceptance. I mean, he he appears like he's okay with everything and, like, he appear like he's still functioning and stuff but i don't i don't think he even falls on that scale of grief at all he doesn't oliver's in no one here is functional so i guess it's gotta be me for now deal with this later <laughs> which is a very older sibling thing to do and wow since we were just talking about fits it seems 
that we might as well move on to the other side of that duo, Keith. Yeah, Keith. What do you guys all think of, like, Keith's main introduction into Sophie's schemes and her plotting? I mean, he's actually pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, like, I... Obviously, how I see Keith now is, like, influenced by what I know he does in later books. And, like... But I really liked actually how he um how they introduced him as sort of more of a main character uh in this section um and i really liked how they how that sort of how him being involved in sophie's schemes it started actually um with keith showing some vulnerability because in the healing center um after bronte inflicts on sophie uh, um, Keith, uh, Keith learned this. This is where Keith actually learned for the first time that uh, Alden has broken. So we kind of get to see his reaction to that in real time. Um, and he just starts crying, and that moment really got to me because, like you said before, Ben, like, um, you know, later on, in Never Seen and whatnot, he tends to deal with grief I think by being reckless and making poor choices um and so this is kind of a different expression of grief that I thought showed a really nice side of him yeah and I think I think this could be because the other times we see him dealing with um his grief and stuff is reflecting of his uh, reflecting off of his mom, someone who he had a complex relationship with, but with Alden, it was a very simple relationship. Like, he just... He just... He saw him as the one nice person in his life, and he was like, oh my god, this is the closest thing I have to a good parental figure, and he's gone. But he's also not his parents, so it's still a very different relationship. Right, like... He's different from the backers in that he gets to sort of pick and choose when he comes over to Everglen. He doesn't, so he really only sees, like, you know, the good parts of having a father like Alden. So Keith does get introduced to the main plot of Exile, um, or maybe not necessarily the whole plot of Exile, but at least the plot of this section, which is where Sophie is trying to hunt down her old journal, um from her human life, which had some pages in it that, um, that turned out to be important. Uh, yep. So, and then Keith gets brought into that as well. But that plot is actually kind of interrupted in the middle by, um, finding out that Sylvanie can teleport. Yeah, so... What happens regarding the um, the journal is that is that Tiergan actually helps out with that. He um, he finds her journal in he finds that the council has kept all of the stuff from her from Sophie's old uh, human home in Mysterium. They've actually rebuilt. That's not. I thought that was um, not Tiergan who found it. I thought that was Tarek. Yeah, I think it was Tarek actually. Yeah. Yeah, because Herrick just gave her right. his number, pretty much. 
said it hit right, me up yeah, if you it need was, help. It was Tarek, the two T names. Get them mixed up. Um, but yeah, something that, I don't know, I thought this was really cool that they reconstructed, they essentially like rebuilt Sophie's entire house on the, um, like exactly how it was. I feel like, okay, well, on one hand that was cool, and on the other hand, I feel like it would be very disconcerting, especially for like, for Sophie after leaving behind her house and like thinking she'll never see it again, and then you just walk in, and it's like exactly the same. That must, yeah. Because that entire scene where she originally leaves her house is so visceral with, like, her drugging her parents and stuff. Um, and to see it kind of revisited and represented here, and then to even have this failure in her finding what she's looking for, it's just not... It's so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's... It's really sad, cause especially because, like, there's all this build-up to the scene and, like, Sophie finding her journal. We we know how important the journal is, and we think she's finally going to, f- you know, find that information in it. And then it turns out the last few pages have been stolen. And we're just like, oh, okay, back to square one. I mean, the last few pages being stolen, that kind of that's kind of how it feels reading these books. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like, just because of the cliffhangers you're not getting any of my jokes oh i'm sorry i'm (laughs) sorry i'm like look i've just like i've been watching so many youtube videos on like statistics for math because i haven't been doing any of the lessons since quarantine started so my brain is just mush right now i tried to do math for like the other day for the first time in like a month and a half and it did not go well it (sighs) went very bad (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like math doesn't go well for me even in normal circumstances it's like how do you expect me to do math in these circumstances <laughs> in these uncertain times <laughs> shut up <laughs> yeah um what other fun stuff was from this section oh the teleporting yeah the teleporting um so yeah so many teleports for the first time with Sophie riding her in front of the entire council. Yeah. Sylvanie has a flair for the dramatic. <laughs> Who doesn't in this series? Honestly, that's true. Elwyn? Yeah, Elwyn. Elwyn doesn't have a flair for the dramatics? Oh, also, um, after Keith comes to Havenfield and is, like, finally becomes involved in, um, in finding Sophie's journal and stuff, it seems like Everybody has something to say about that. Like, Grady was mentioning it, and then so was Dex and Morella at Foxfire the next day. Yeah. I feel like Grady's doing that annoying dad thing, where, like, the minute that you bring someone home of the opposite sex, they're like, so, what are you doing? Are you, what, what's happening here? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Also, he was like, what about Dex? I mean, I think... I think to the entire world, other than Sophie, it's quite obvious that Dex has a crush on her. And I think that other people kind of assume Sophie knows that Dex has a crush on her. So then it could be that Grady thinks Sophie knows that Dex has a crush on her and reciprocates it. So he's asking, like, whoa, I thought you were, like, dating or, like, having a thing with Dex. In terms of just, like, other miscellaneous things, uh, 
that I noticed about the section or that I want to mention. Um, when they were in Mysterium with Tarek to get the journal, I really liked that moment where um where Tarek like where Tarek takes off his circlet and he says to Sophie, like, okay, for the next few minutes consider me a citizen. I thought I don't know, even like I always thought that was that was cool and it was a good way to like show that Tarek is one of those characters that you want to root for because even though like there are people like Bronte on the council who you know you make who you seem like and like the black swan is also rebelling against the council so it a lot of the time it seems like the council is the bad guys in the situation especially since we don't actually know who the never seen are yet so it's kind of nice to see some of those more like I don't there's mo moments for some of the counselors that are less like big and grand and f full of jewels and more like I want to say human but they're not human so I don't really know what to call it well we get it like human like the feeling that kind of reminded me of a thing that I read in um or maybe that you told me I'm not sure <laughs> but um that like the like the mindset of Kidlet is like everyone in the government is good and the mindset of middle grade like some people in the government are bad but overall the organization is good and then the mindset of YA is like there are some good people in the government but as an organization it's bad I'm not sure if this quite falls within the chapters that we were talking about but I find it so interesting, like, how much Sylvanie, especially, and Alcorns in general are associated with time. I just, I was reading my notes and it said Alicorn timeline moved up, and that was in reference to when um, Sophie was told that they were, the council told Sophie that they were going to need Sylvanie ready sooner. So I just find it interesting that, like, there's this idea of, like, a timeline for Sophie to get Sylvanie ready. There's this timeline of extinction that the elves have this concept of. And all these timelines. And then, of course, there's the connection between time and space, where you're dealing with timelines and a creature that can fly anywhere in space. Yeah. Yeah, the whole timeline to extinction thing is cool. And, yeah, I agree in, like, how alicorns seem to be associated with time so much. Like, when I think about teleportation, like, yeah, it is moving through space but you know as wrinkle in time right, says it does have a lot to do with time as well but of course elven physics you can ride on a beam of light so who's saying how time and space work yeah true <laughs> as we all know einstein was wrong i mean i'm wondering if it's a coincidence that <laughs> well of course i mean i'm wondering if it's a coincidence that like the teleporting time space animals in both keeper and like wrinkle in time is a unicorn like is that a culture thing or did she just get inspiration or did they just develop it separately like you're right because um in the third wrinkle in time book right in a swiftly yeah. tilting planet <laughs> the um yeah the time traveling animal is a is a unicorn i or it's a pega pegasus or a unicorn it's an it's alicorn a well it's some sort of it's like two-thirds of an alicorn in some way or another. And, <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot about that. Oh, that's very cool. 
Oh, I kind of want to look that up now to see, like, if there is any association between unicorns and time. It's very possible. I don't know. Everything that's coming to mind for me is, like, I don't know a whole lot. Like, I feel like unicorns are, like, one of those mythological animals that are, like, so indoctrinated, like, into kind of, like, North American kind of society that, like, if you actually look into it, it's something that you don't really know a lot about. Whereas if you tell me about, like, random mythical animals, like, there's one called the Kirin, which I believe is from Asia, and it's similar to a unicorn, except you, it makes you tell the truth. I know stuff about that because it is not something that we see here. So I just realized I don't know anything about unicorns. Well, according to the internet, unicorns in My Little Pony can teleport. Um... <laughs> what can't they do in My we Little Pony? We were talking pony? about... We were talking about, this brings the total number of times we've talked about My Little Pony on this podcast up to, like, two, which is more <laughs> than I thought we would. <laughs> yeah, they totally, I, I watched My Little Pony when I was, like, ten, and now I'm remembering, yes, they did teleport in that. They teleport? Oh, that's cool. I, I admit, I know nothing about My Little Pony. You don't need to know anything about it. <laughs> You'll survive. <laughs> Now we're going to, as usual, move on to share our social media. I already said this at the beginning of the episode, um, but we are KeeperCast on Tumblr and the KeeperCast on Instagram, and I am MallowMelting on Tumblr and Instagram. I am Everglen-Havenfield on Tumblr. And I am aelin ashriver galathinius on Tumblr. Iconic. Hard to spell. Yeah. Yeah. Well... At least I didn't add the white thorn. Oh, there's there's more? Oh, you get, yeah, they got married, so um, now she has four names. Oh, Throne of Glass spoilers, I guess. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I never read that series. You should, it's really good. It's like 38% of my life. I read the, I read the fairy series you did, and that one got weird. Yeah, that one's not as good. <laughs> um... Throne of Glass is really, really, really good, though. Well, there you go. You get a book rec, too, this week. This has been KeeperCast. See you next week.